Who am I? Uh, I was born in the city of Geneva in 1712. I died a decade before the French Revolution, but many contemporaries held me responsible for it. Some regard me as the father of modern education. And at the age of 37, I had a vision on the road. A trance, you could say, a moment of truth. An idea came to me so profound that some might describe it as a turning point in Western civilization. I'll give you a clue. It's not that guy. <laughs> in fact, I'm not sure who he is and why you would want a painting of you like that. Here's a picture of him. Can anyone guess who he is? Josh. It is Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And the idea that changed Western civilization was this quote. I saw that man is naturally good, and it is by our institutions that men become wicked. And that idea was like a dust storm. And centuries later, it has settled on all parts of society. And we don't even notice it. Why is the idea that man is naturally good so profound? Well, if man is created good, then your inner self, your authentic self, should never be suppressed, but rather celebrated. Education changes. It used to be about conformity. You came in, your individuality was suppressed. You learned a curriculum. But now, it's about uh, not restraining our natural selves, but education encourages children to express who they really are. It means we celebrate youth. It used to be the elder statesmen who were the voice of wisdom and reason. But who is it that has to wake up an older generation to the impact of climate change? It's a young 16-year-old. And so youth, before society corrupts them, will change the world. Man is naturally good, and it is by our institutions that men become wicked. Uh, I hear there's something called student elections coming up, and apparently votes closed 10 minutes ago. I love junk mail, and so along those lines, this week, I've just said yes to everything that people have given me, and in one sense, I don't really care what you voted, it's not about politics, but it is interesting. We're fairly anti-institution here at ANU. Stand up, fight back. Building a more activist campus. Uh, making the case that a noose should be used to organise and platform mass protests. Uh, what's this one? Uh, we want our unions to fight against the corporate university. We're fairly anti-institution. An anti-institution usually goes with an optimistic view of humanity. That is, if we break down the institutions, then positive humanity can flourish. Get rid of the system, and we can make a difference. Can you see the impact? Man is naturally good, and it is by our institutions that men become wicked. Which means that one of the most controversial ideas that comes from Christianity has nothing to do with gender, and it's got nothing to do with sexuality. It's that humanity is born wicked and deserving of punishment. It's an idea some call original sin. 
It's the idea that we've inherited sin from our forefathers and that regardless of having done anything right or wrong, the moment we're born, we're sinful. And it's an, an idea that's so outrageous that it's one of the most common objections to Christianity that I hear on campus. I mean, we live in an individualistic culture where we're responsible for my actions. So how can I be responsible for someone else's actions thousands of years ago? So if I go to jail because I robbed a bank, fair enough. But if I go to jail because my great-great-grandfather robbed a bank, (laughs) that's not right. And so the idea of original sin being inherited, it feels archaic. Which makes Romans 5 today one of the most difficult passages to understand. Because if there's any passages that speaks about original sin, Romans 5 is it. Which means that today's talk's actually going to be hard to understand. Uh, you should never start a talk by making excuses. Uh, but it's worth saying that up front. Uh, it's difficult because the concepts are hard for us. The world of the Bible is so different to our current culture. But it's also hard because the verses are tricky to untangle. But it's going to be like combing your hair. And you might say, Kevin, you have no right to use that illustration. You're probably right. But it's kind of like you kind of get all those knots and you pick at it and you work work your way through. And once you get through that, the rest will flow. And on the other end, you'll feel great. You'll look great. And that's the hope today. (laughs) Uh, We're going to spend half the talk on three verses. Verses 12 to 14. And then the rest will flow, and you'll look great, and you'll feel great. (laughs) So let's dig in. Firstly, corporate sin. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin is personified. It came through Adam. And as Adam took the fruit in Genesis and disobeyed God, humanity became sinful. Sin enters the world. Now, I've got here a timeline to help us as we work our way through. Okay, So sin enters through Adam. But once it enters, it spreads, kind of like a cancer. And so sin and death spread. And because of Adam's sin, all sin and all die. Okay, following so far? Things get a little bit trickier when we ask the question, how? How is it that because of Adam, all sinned? That is, what is the relationship between Adam's sin and our sin? And how is it that when sin enters the world through Adam, we're all infected? Now, one idea that's out there is inherited corruption. Okay? Uh, it's the idea that we inherit from Adam a corrupt nature. And we inherit a nature that bends towards sinfulness. It's kind of like, a, you know, those shopping trolleys you get from Costco that never go straight? And so no matter what you do, you're always going to crash into a shelf. That's kind of one idea, right? We inherit a corrupt nature that no matter what we try and do, we're going to sin and bend towards sinfulness. And it's an idea that sounds plausible, doesn't it? Uh, who here has kids? There's a few. You know, you never have to teach a child to be greedy. I don't know any parent who says to their child, yes, you can have ice cream. Yes, you can make your sister cry. You have to teach our kids to be good. It's not the other way around. So in one sense, it's true that our natures are corrupted. 
But in terms of these verses, that view gets complicated by verses 13 to 14. So let's read it. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, what does it mean that sin is not counted where there is no law? Uh, there's been a dispute in our apartment complex. Uh, the dispute is over whether pets are allowed in the common area. Uh, those with pets want their dogs to be able to run free. Uh, those without pets don't want them to urinate on the pet grass. So there's always dispute. Uh, while there's ambiguity, no one can ask pet owners to leave. But earlier in the year, when they put up signs that said no pets allowed, then there's clarity. Pet owners aren't allowed to be there anymore. Where there's the law, it's clear that you're in the wrong. And so it's in that sense that where, there's, where there is sin, uh, where there is law, sin becomes counted in that sense. Uh, so if we go back to our timeline, the law comes in through Moses, and after the law comes in, sin is counted. Now, here's the tricky thing, okay, if you're with me so far. Sin enters the world before the law, yet in this period here in between, before the law is actually counted, you actually can't punish sin because there's no law. But look at verse 14. Yet, verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those sinning that was not like the transgressions of Adam. So sin is in the world, but not counted, but death reigns. And so the question is, how can you say that between Adam and Moses, death reigns when there's no law? Death is the punishment for sin, but sin could not be counted pre-law. And so the transgression of Adam was law-breaking. Don't eat the fruit. He ate the fruit. Punishment. Sin after Moses is law-breaking. Punishment. But the sin in between. To punish that sin, it's kind of like asking pet owners to leave when there's no sign. And that's where kind of inherited corruption breaks down here. Because in that view, you still need the law to be condemned. That is, all we've inherited is a nature that bends towards sin and corruption. We actually haven't inherited sin itself. We haven't inherited the guilt from sin. And so you see how these verses are tricky? We're kind of, you know, the comb is stuck in the hair right now, and we're trying to untangle it at the moment. And so really it comes back to that question I asked earlier. What is the relationship between Adam's sin and our sin? And how is it that when Adam sinned, all sinned and all died? Now, I would love you to actually work at that yourself and talk to your neighbours around you. Dig through those three verses and we'll give you, I'll give you three minutes and we'll see together what answers we can come up with, okay? So in three minutes, what's the relationship between Adam's sin and our sin? How is it that when Adam died, we all died? Go for it, you've got three minutes. <coughs>
All right, let's come back together. That's three minutes. Keen to hear your thoughts. Tricky verses. So let's see how we go. Um, who's brave enough to share or not brave enough to not be a friend? Many people reckon. Lots of chatter. Let's hear from someone in the back row. Back row rebels. <laughs> uh, Jackie Chan, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like, no, he's not sure. It's tricky, it's tricky. Anyone else? Who wants to help him out? Yeah, Jesse. We were, we were chatting a bit about how, um, yeah, death still reigned and we were thinking about, you know, the flood happened. There were wicked people on earth between Adam and Moses and that law given. And so, is there, that was a written law, was there, is there, I don't know, other law that's not written down that um, uh, people are still held accountable to? So maybe, maybe there is a sense of some law that we don't know that they're accountable to, yeah, potentially. You see there's wickedness there before the law comes. That's definitely true. Other thoughts? Yeah, Yanis. I just thought about like the Genesis 2 section where it's like under the idea of the curse. Yeah. God says, you know, now we have to work our brain less on the and our death is a thing as well. Yeah. So I thought that's kind of under that sort of control. True. So part of the curse is that death enters and death comes through and spreads. It's tricky. In one sense, it's not the clearest from this passage. But here's my stab at it, and my stab at some of the tension. Um, it's the idea, I think, that we share a relationship with Adam. So it's different names for it. Some call it federal headship. Some call it a solidarity of relationship. But it's the idea that in Adam, all sinned. It's the sense that when he disobeyed God, we were there with him. Because Adam was our representative. He was humanity. He was us. All of us was to be found inside him. We are, if you'd like, Adam. Thousands of years later, spread across the world. That is, when Adam made the choice for us and broke the law, he broke the law for us. And in that sense, we were with him, doing it in him. And I think that's the part that's the hardest to understand conceptually. It's hard because we're individualists. I'm responsible for what I do. And so we find it hard to imagine that we were with Adam in the Garden of Eden. Uh, here's an imperfect illustration that might help. Uh, in the late 1950s, a 10-year-old boy crossed the border with his mum from China into Hong Kong. He grew up without much of an education, but his mum brought him to church every week. In the 20s, he met another woman at church, and they got married, and they had two kids. And the youngest kid was very good looking. <laughs> In 1988, Tiananmen Square happened. Faced with two kids and the handover of Hong Kong to China in 97, this man decided to move to New Zealand and raise his children there. And in 1995, when I was seven, my dad decided that we would move to Australia. That's the story of my dad. But in one sense, that's the story of me. The decision of my dad to leave Hong Kong was in one sense my decision. I was never consulted, but his choice was a choice on behalf of me. You see, why is it that I can't speak any Chinese to save my life? 
or more to the point, to save anyone else's life. <laughs> Why is it that I grew up watching cricket? Why is it that I think a sausage and a bread roll outside a hardware store is one of the best meals you can have? <laughs> you see, I want to separate my dad's choice and my choice, but I can't. My grandma didn't like the Japanese. Why? One sense, she didn't have any bad experiences with them. I don't think she ever knew anyone who was Japanese. But the atrocities of World War II that the Japanese committed in China is seen in her mind. She individually wasn't a part of it, but the forefathers acted as her representative. Adam was us. When he sinned, we sinned. And we have inherited Adam's sin. Which is the problem Rousseau never understood. Apparently, he thought of himself as incapable of base emotions. These are some of his words. I feel too superior to hate. Never have I known the hateful passions. Never did jealousy, wickedness, vengeance enter my heart. He called himself a friend of all mankind. He had five children, all abandoned to an orphanage after birth. And in those days, most likely abandoned to their death. David Hume described him as a monster who saw himself as the only important being in the universe. He was smart. He was a genius. But he was deeply sinful. And in one sense, that's all of us. Hannah Arendt coined the term, the banality of evil. She watched the trial of Adolf Eichmann. Now, Eichmann was a logistical genius. He used his brains to maximize the extermination of the Jews during the Holocaust. Arendt turned up to the trials expecting to see a monster. But what disturbed her wasn't how monstrous he was, but how commonplace he was. He was described almost as a good family man who was doing his job. Sin is corporate. It's Adam, but it's all of us. Now, I said the first half of the talk is based on three verses. It's an important foundation, so we had to do it. But the main point of today's passage isn't actually about corporate sin. It's actually about corporate salvation. That is, when we understand that we inherit sin, it actually helps us understand how it is that we can inherit life. So corporate salvation. You see, Adam was only a type of the one to come. And we have a comparison in the rest of the chapter between Adam and Jesus. Now, I've got here a table with Adam on one side and Jesus on the other. If you look through it, you have verse 15. Many died through his trespass, in Adam's trespass. Much more, many received the free gift through Jesus. Verse 16, judgment brought one trespass. Uh, following one trespass brought justification. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Verse 17, one man's trespass death reigned, but much more the free gift of righteousness reigns in life through Jesus. Now, did you notice which phrase is repeated? I kind of put it in capitals. <laughs> much more. That is, it's not an equal comparison. What we have in Jesus is much more than what we have in Adam. 
And the question to talk through is how. How is it that what we have received through Jesus much more than what we have received through Adam? Again, we'd love you to talk to your neighbour. Get ready, Jackie Chan, to answer. <laughs> Just joking. Uh, you got three minutes. Uh, go for it. We'll come back after three minutes. together uh, anyone got any thoughts how what we have received in Jesus much more than what we have received in Adam John had a good point, oh, John had a good point. so what do you reckon Jackie <laughs> yeah John what do you reckon <laughs> Relationship and an abundance of that rather than nothing. Other thoughts? And why is it much more? Yeah, Josh. Jesus is greater than that. He's more powerful than Yeah, yep. And what he's done is there's a power associated to it. Let me ask you this question which is easier, to kill or to give life? I can kill, I think. <laughs> Some might question my abilities. <laughs> But I can't give life. To kill someone is far easier than it is to give life to someone. And so Adam, in one sense, pushed humanity downhill. But Christ has pushed us uphill. Verse 19, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That is, we're at the bottom of the hill. We have no choice. We're born into it. 
But one man's obedience, we will be made righteous. He's dragged us up again. Verse 20, the law comes to increase sin. That is, the more rules there are, the more rules I end up breaking. But where sin increases, grace is much more. It abounds. And so we're in a new era. We're in a new age. We're not in the age of Adam, of sin, of death. But we're in the age of Jesus, of grace, and of life. Corporate sin only leads us to understand the idea of corporate salvation. We like the idea that we've inherited fortune from our forefathers. We don't like the idea that we've inherited debt. My grandfather passed me a million bucks. Great, I'll enjoy it. My grandfather still owed a million bucks. Well, that was his problem. We've inherited debt. But much more, we've inherited fortune. And how is it that we've inherited fortune? And that's our last point, future salvation. The answer is actually at the beginning of the chapter, which is the most important part of the chapter. It's verse 1, we've been justified by faith. It's verse 6, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I won't die for Finn. I might die for Mathia. So, I, I, I will die for Mathia. But Christ died for people like Rousseau. He died for people like Eichmann. He died for sinful humanity. And when you understand original sin, you understand how profound it is that Christ died for you. Your destiny doesn't have to be shaped by Adam. It actually can be shaped by Jesus. Just look at verses 9 to 10. Did you notice there that salvation is future? That is, there is a future salvation to come. We will stand before God in judgment. And the question is, when he looks at you, who will he see? Will he see Adam? Or will he see Christ? Verse 10, Christ died for you while you were an enemy. I won't die for Finn. I can't imagine dying for an enemy, but that's what he did for you. And because he's done the harder thing, then it's guaranteed that on that last day, he will do the easier thing. And he will save you as his friend. You see, we had no choice about the sin we inherited. But we have a choice now. We actually can move from the line of Adam to the line of Jesus. And if you do that, you no longer have to pretend to be good when you're not. You actually can trust your, that the life you have in Jesus is much greater than the death that we deserve in Adam. If you want to do that, I have a prayer written here that you can pray. Prayer is simply speaking to God. And this prayer is quite simple. It's simply asking God to forgive you and thanking Jesus for what he's done for us. In fact, let's just go through it. I've got the words coming up here. It simply says this. It says, Dear God, I know that I am sinful and deserve death. Thank you that Jesus died for me as an enemy. 
please forgive me. Thank you that we have life in Jesus and help me to live for Jesus and not myself. And the wonderful thing about that is that if you pray, God actually hears you. And the wonderful thing is that he will give you life. And all you have to do is say those words in your head along with me. So if you, after today's talk, realize that your life is an Adam and you haven't given your life to Jesus, now would be a terrific time to do that. How about we pray? Dear God, I know that I am sinful and deserve death. Thank you that Jesus died for me as an enemy. Please forgive me. Thank you that we have life in Jesus. Please help me to live for Jesus and not myself. Amen. If you pray that prayer, we would love to hear from you. In fact, on your comment slip, I think there's a little box that you can tick. And that's just a way for us to get in touch with you.